welcome to another episode of the Pirate Monk Podcast. Well, I'm one of your hosts here. I'm Nate. And the guy across the table from me is Aaron Porter, the Commodore. How are you doing, man? I am. I, I was doing quite well, then had a rough last hour. Did but, you really? But man, it feels like fall has fallen. Yeah. And I took a nice walk today without a counseling appointment attached to it. Mm-hmm. And it was just, oh, so good. I love fall. Oh, wow. Yeah. Thanks. So, thank God, really, for the for the change of season, a little bit of break from the oppressive heat we've had all summer, and a little bit of rain lately. Yeah. After after do you, do you guys, extended drought. Do you guys <laughs> the huh? extended drought? That's what I wanted to hear you say. <laughs> what, what is wrong with you guys? Yeah, well, yeah, you come from the high desert of uh, the central coast in California. Yeah. What? It didn't rain for like, what, 40 days? Yeah, like about little, that, yeah. A little yeah. sprinkling? Yeah, yeah. And that counted as a drought. Yes, absolutely. Are you kidding? <laughs> is this, I, well, I'm concerned partly because, you know, we have a we have a big weekend yeah. planned in Eva, Tennessee, in the land between the lakes up there. And when you and I made our visit, we were told that they were under a burn ban because there hadn't yeah. been rain. That's crazy. Is that realistic? I mean, seriously. Sure. Okay. There's a lot of tinder out there in those woods. So hopefully with this rain that we've gotten, uh, we'll still be able to have our bonfires, which are an important part of the weekend. Well, he did say they just needed to get permits at that point. So it wasn't a full ban yet. Okay. And I guess I should be sympathetic towards Tennessee because I'm like, this is stupid. But then again, (laughs) California just lights on fire every uh, year. So (laughs) you guys are more concerned and that's good. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, California. What is it? I mean, it's, it's you know, earthquake season, then then wildfires, then mudslides. I don't. Yeah, know. I don't know about earthquakes. I don't think there's a season for that. And yeah, that that part's not scary. But man, the wildfires. That's been kind of crazy the last few years. So I'll give you that. I'll give Tennessee <laughs> that. It's fine. Uh, so we got to have some fun at the what's it called the the Gaylord, AACC the, the Gaylord. Opryland, Opryland Hotel, hotel yeah. where the American Association of Christian Counselors held their international big, big international conference. Six hundred Christian counselors, six thousand. I'm sorry, Christian counselors in attendance. A lot of high-profile speakers, and and we had a booth right there in the middle of the exhibit hall. The first time we've ever done that. And I'll tell you the reason we decided to do it at Samson House is that in listening to guys showing up at newcomer meetings and asking them how they'd found us, we found that most of the guys who came had been referred by their therapist, Mm. even though we had never gone to any trouble at all to promote uh, Samson to therapists. So we decided to correct that oversight. So I wanted to talk about a few things, but how was your experience? uh, Did you talk to more women or men? That's my first curious question. First of all, I was only there briefly. I had so much going on that uh, Tom Mocha, Dr. Tom Mocha, really uh, uh, carried the ball. He created the booth, set it up, manned manned it, really. He was there for all three days. He passed out 900 flyers, talked to countless people. Uh, I cruised in for two hours, I think. And I'm not a real assertive guy. So in the time that, that Tom would hand out you know, 90 or 100, I handed out seven flyers, I think, maybe nine. <laughs> well, beyond the flyers. But did, I had great conversations some, yeah, with, so you with had some, some conversations. people. Yeah. Uh, more women or men? 
Oh, that's a good question. I, I think it was about equal, and I'm surprised the 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 line that Tom was using when you know to to engage people in conversation, as he would say, uh, Samson Society is holding virtual meetings for guys dealing with porn addiction, and that was enough, really, we found, to get the attention of most everybody who went by. Interesting. Yeah. Uh, this does fly in the face of you don't have to be a right. porn addict, but it doesn't help. It doesn't It doesn't hurt. hurt. It doesn't right. hurt. Doesn't, no, yeah. no. But we were just trying to, uh, Tom yeah. said, let's find the most common trigger, something that we, it's yeah. perceived, it is a, an acknowledged need, right? Yeah. So there were, there were a couple themes. I was there on Thursday and Friday mm-hmm. and uh, got to spend a, a good chunk there on Friday, which was great. It was oh, way, good. way busier than... On Thursday. All right. Thursday uh, was when I was there. Yes. Okay. And and I was the closing shift when everybody was just excited to be in Nashville and took off to go to dinner. So <laughs> that was that was a lot of sitting around. But Elijah, Elijah came both days, and Abby came on Friday as well. So oh, yeah. it was a, a good thing having a young, young, almost fourteen year old girl at the booth. That just encouraged. Maybe that's why I had so many more women on Friday. Well, I'll tell you what. I caught flack from Allie. When she found out that we had run a booth and she had not been invited, oh man, to uh, talk to people and hang out, hand out flyers. So, we've promised her that the next time we do a trade show, Allie will be able to man the booth. Right. She's great at that. Oh, I can imagine. Yeah. Uh, so I I spoke with more women than men, mm-hmm. not by a lot. It was it was close. Yeah. But uh, I found women were just kind of gravitated towards this because mm-hmm. of the the men in their practices right. or in their lives. Right. And there were a couple themes that came up that I wanted to bounce off of you. Sure. And, and the listeners might not think about this as either um, or uh, hadn't thought about this. One was there was an initial confusion as to what are you trying to fix? Like if somebody comes to a meeting, mm-hmm. what, what's the format that fixes what? Because mm-hmm. if you're not focused on sex addiction, because I kind of took a whole different tack than you guys yeah. in the, oh, no, this is for anyone with any addiction right? or that's just living in isolation that needs to learn how to have authentic community. right? And they they had in their head, okay, but if they go to Alcoholics Anonymous, they're dealing with alcohol and mm-hmm. they're going to get clean from alcohol. Right. Narcotics, Sexaholics right, right. Anonymous. So... I ha- I hadn't thought about this, but I had to start having these conversations that, okay, this isn't a replacement for those. We've talked about that. Mm-hmm. Um, and it is something that for various people, they need to be in counseling. They need to have a coach. They need to be in a program. But this is important because, and I know what I said, but I want you to fill in that and hear what you would say. Well, I described it because we were we were dealing with therapists. I said Samson Society uh, provides support between sessions, um, and you know, what therapist, what good, caring therapist doesn't want to provide their client with as much support as possible. So, but how would you describe it to the therapist that says, "Okay, well, this person uh, struggles with gambling. Mm-hmm. This one struggles with methamphetamine use." Yeah, I didn't have that issue because I just uh, I started off the conversation with porn. Okay, well, let's pretend you were in the conversation. Yeah, 
Yeah. What, well, like, I'm wondering what, whether because we've wanted to really keep the door wide open for everybody, and we're mm -hmm. still going to keep the door wide open for everybody, um, why we perhaps we have muted the message. Uh, it might be smarter for us to say, uh, you know, to, to, to pick the pick the dragon of the age, the thing that really is chewing up the culture. Yeah. Go after that. But even that, when you show up to a meeting, it doesn't yeah. start out, we're a group of people that No, 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 exactly. So uh, I guess what I'm asking is, what is the explanation of what we do at a meeting that would make sense to someone who's never been yeah, to a yeah. virtual meeting? Yeah, yeah, yeah. What is the benefit if we're not focusing on yeah, right. a specific issue? Right. It's a place for me to, to get vulnerable and transparent, to bring my real self and make real friends. Okay. You know, I was uh, I spoke at a conference, a great conference, this just this last weekend in Melbourne, Florida, and recounted for those guys kind of my experience in recovery. And I told them that one of the things that really surprised me when I first started going to 12-step meetings for sex addicts was how rarely they talked about sex. Mm. Because you know, it took it took me a long time to catch on that sex is not the problem. Sex is the favorite solution. That it's really secondary. It's symptomatic, and uh, we've got bigger fish to fry. We've got deeper issues to address. Um, and I think it's that it's the commonality of our brokenness that uh, makes it possible for us to assist each other, no matter what. Uh, medication we've happened to choose or which one has chosen us right. right but that so that's hard for people to understand because especially if you're a spouse of an addict mm -hmm. or if you're a counselor who's right. like we're dealing with this thing yeah, yeah and then you're going off to a meeting where the focus isn't here's three things to try this week to be less of a pervert oh yeah right yeah it's hard for someone who hasn't struggled in any particular area to understand that what you just said is important. Yeah. That I have a place that at least once or twice, and, and I want to throw out that you don't have to just pick one meeting. You right. can go to uh, twice a week. Oh, now know. that we have virtual meetings, you can go every day. You can go every day. Mm -hmm. You and Especially if gluttony is your problem. Well, then I suggest <laughs> you do two a day. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I'm just going to muse on that for a moment in silence. Uh, it's good because, uh, like, explain more of this. I have a place to be authentic and honest. Yeah. What, why is that important? Well, I mean, I can speak from, from personal experience. Uh, I had lost my true voice. I'd lost sight of my own heart, my own feelings. I was really, you know, the shell of a man uh, changing clothes you know, adopting various personas in order to operate in whatever environment I was in. So is that what you mean when you say you lost your true voice is you had taken on so many voices that just shit sure. situations that you didn't even know. Who sure, you were. sure. So, I mean, I didn't know why I was doing what I was doing. I didn't know what my own heart wanted. Uh, I had paid no real attention to my own wounding. I was, I, and, and the only solution I knew uh, was guilt and shame, which mm -hmm. didn't work. Um, so to 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 uh, to have a place to come where the persona wasn't welcome, uh, 
They didn't want to see St. Nate. Uh, they, you know, they didn't like that guy, and they didn't want to. They didn't want any other persona. I was, it, 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 it was unnerving, and at the same time comforting to know that all they really wanted was me. Uh, and it, and I didn't have to parse my phrases, and I didn't have to speak in code. In fact, it was a challenge to learn, uh, just to come out and say it. And and I. And, and, and it was very helpful and therapeutic to listen to other people speak bravely and baldly in, in you know, just honest language, just saying how things are. Oh, man. That, that's a real thing that you're saying. I was talking to a pastor not long ago, and he was talking about the honesty of their small group program. Right. Um, and I... I didn't doubt his sincerity. Yeah. And it takes a while to realize how much we've hidden yeah. in our Christianese. Sure, sure. And it usually does take somebody else to just talk without that. Right. And it feels like a slap in the face. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, having those examples and having that opportunity and that that does tie into our lives, our addictions, our... Yeah habits and behaviors, yeah. even though it doesn't touch on them. You know, it, it was, it, I, I, my heart just hurt uh, a couple days ago for a guy who spoke with me after this conference I was at in Melbourne. It's a guy who uh, is part of an ongoing Christian sex addiction recovery program. And he's there with, he came with two or three other guys from the program. He happened to be in my breakout group. I picked the I picked the uh, the topic loneliness. We talked about loneliness. Guys were very vulnerable. This guy was very vulnerable. And like most everybody in the room, you know, he talked about you know porn use and infidelity and uh, uh, you know and how God has saved his marriage. But you know what a battle it is. He approached me later, after the formal program had come to an end. Uh, and said, hey, um, he wanted to know more about Samson and about recovery. And then he said, what do you, what about homosexuality? Mm -hmm. And uh, and you could, it was hard for him even to say the word. And I said, oh, dude, do you know how common an unwanted same-sex attraction is? I said, there's a ton of guys in Samson with an un... He goes, yes, unwanted, unwanted. It's, it's certainly unwanted. And most of them are married. Yeah, I'm married. I love my wife. Um, and, uh, and I said, it's, it's nothing to be ashamed of. That's not something you chose. And I happen to know that there... I, I can put you in touch with brothers who will walk that journey with you. Now, here's what he told me. He says, I've been in this group for months... I've talked about everything, but I have never named that. In fact, he said, you're the first guy I ever told. Now, here's, here's this is a Christian guy, active in church, active in a sex addiction, Christian sex addiction recovery program, and he can't name his fight. Mm. That's tragic. He still has to talk in code or thinks he does. Yeah. 
What I suspect is that he really doesn't have to. That if he, somebody in that group has got to be brave enough to say it, and he'll find that he's not alone. Man, I was just yesterday reading a book on panic attacks, mm-hmm. and the person really goes for, sh- what do you call it, shame immersion therapy, which I was horrified yeah. just upon starting to read that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, it, it, the whole deal, I'll try and figure out the short way to say it, but he basically took this client out for two hours and uh, made him do something embarrassing. Right. And, and he did it as well because uh-huh. his client was like, well, why don't you do it? Like yeah. a lot of resistance. Yeah. He did it. He said, okay. So he starts doing this. And uh, it, it was essentially, they went for a jog, got a little sweaty. Then he made him take a squirt bottle and spray under his arms and all over. Yeah. And then go into different stores, lifting his arm going, oh my gosh, it's hot out there. I'm yeah. drenching wet. Yeah. And he was so terrified right. of doing that. And every place he went, he was either ignored or people would engage him in friendly banter about, yeah. oh yeah, it's super hot. Yeah. And then the last time was... Uh, a beautiful woman uh-huh. that he obviously thought was beautiful. He said, go do that. This will be your last one. I won't ask you to do any more. And he said, uh-huh. I definitely can't do that. In the end, he came back with her phone number. And, <laughs> and I uh, so I thought, man, that's really dangerous. Like, that's a nice happy ending story. Yeah, I would call that shame desensitization. Well, or shame immersion. Is that what he called yeah, it? Yeah, that's what he called it. Okay. Uh, or shame exposure. I can't remember which. Okay, yeah. But it... Uh, I, I'm not recommending that to everybody, right. but I I do think, man, we have this idea of I could never blank, right, and challenging that right. is sometimes the most important thing to do to get past it and realize I have made up an entire lie, right, about what will happen. And I remember early on when you were just starting to go out and speak, yeah, and I remember asking you so. How many people have rejected you thus far after you've told your story? Yeah. And you sheepishly said, well, none yet, but. (laughs) Yeah. So that was, uh, I don't know, 14 years ago or so, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So how many people have rejected you? None. Okay. None. Just checking. (laughs) No, you just make yourself a little more human. Yeah. A little more approachable. Yeah. And, And this might sound really cliched. But even if you said, yeah, there were like these six times over the last 14 years or so, Mm -hmm. those six people I would feel first really bad for. Right. Because the fact that they needed to reject you points to their own brokenness and fear. Not that they've done what you did, but that honesty scares the crap out of them. Sure. And then the other part is that, yeah, all right, that has nothing to do with you, and they wouldn't have been your friends right now anyway. <laughs> they wouldn't They wouldn't have enjoyed you, and you wouldn't have enjoyed them. Right. So let's go find the other thousand people that are fine. Yeah. But that's yeah. hard. Our, yeah. our brains hold on to those rejections because I'm sure there are people out there listening to this that can say, oh, no, but I have these few, this handful of experiences. Yeah. That's what I go back to. Yeah. Okay. You know, it's interesting. Uh Talking about the conversations we had with women, most of the women that came through were therapists. Mm -hmm. I had a great conversation with one woman who was fascinated by the virtual meetings. Uh, And she said, so 
uh, and turns out, oh, she's got a great story. I want to have her on the podcast, actually. She was terrific. Great personality, great story. Um, but she works with the spouses of addicts. And she said, oh, man, I, I've got, I really want to spread the word about this. The women are going to love it. And I said, well, you know, some of the Samson wives have gotten together and they're doing it for sports. She said, I'm not talking about that. I'm not talking about them. Here's what I'm talking about, she said. Um, when a, 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 a woman's husband was an active addict, life was all about him. Mm -hmm. Then he got into recovery. And now life is still all about him. Mm -hmm. It's all about his recovery and he can't come home from work because he's got to drive 45 minutes to a meeting and then he's got to, and he's got to do that three times a week and he's got to meet with you mean to tell me he can go to a meeting from home? Mm -hmm. She goes, that's a game changer right there. Yeah. And it is true that um, and, and uh, I'm sure Allie could, uh, expand upon this theme. And I, I know that we've heard it from some of the women, man, it is so tough for these spouses to hang in there to, to, um, I mean, they can't be expected to throw the husband a parade. We know when he's 30 days clean, it's, it's hard for the guys to remember that, that their best day was her worst day, mm -hmm. uh, that she now is suffering trauma. Um, and the, and that he or she is wondering, when do I get my life back? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, yeah, so this therapist said, you know, the wives will say, when is it going to be about me? Yeah. One other thing before we move on to our next uh, topic, uh, it was just in my head because talk about, oh, the virtual thing. This was something that... Uh, I saw other counselors feel the same way I did when you brought this whole thing up. Mm -hmm. And I think the word virtual was a speed bump for me. Okay. Because virtual to me immediately means fake. Oh, yeah. It's not real. It's right. virtual. Right. And so Do you I thought, prefer uh, online? Uh, I, I don't know that I care one way or the other. And I didn't even realize my brain did that. Right. I just didn't think it was a great idea at first. Right. And it really wasn't until I saw the guys get together for the first time yeah. when I watched them uh, hug. Yeah. And then even when we were in Scotland and I got to meet a few guys that I did know from online mm -hmm. and realized, oh, they're like 6'3". I thought they were only the chest to the top of their head. It was a few inches. They're, <laughs> they're tiny people. These are tiny people. Uh, I realized, wow, this is real. Yeah. These are real relationships. And mm -hmm. that was something that I saw. I saw these counselors start to believe that. Yeah. Because yeah. at first they felt the same way I did. Right. Okay. If you can't do the real thing, this is about 50 times less, but it's something. Yeah. And I really changed my mind. And even telling them that story. Sure. Uh, they would get really excited. So mm -hmm. I'm just thinking of the listeners who think, oh, okay, yeah, whatever. We got these virtual meeting things are out there. It's worth exploring because it is so much more real. These are real people yeah, that yeah. you see on a regular basis. Yeah. Uh, so that was, that was important. Even as you're explaining this to other people, if you're in a virtual meeting, just know that you'll have doubters like me, mm -hmm. that you'll have to convince them, oh, no, 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 this is actual real life. Yeah, yeah. We're going to take a quick break. We're going to come back with a few questions and comments from our last podcast. 
Uh, so hang in there with us, and we'll be right back here on the Pirate Monk Podcast. podcast interesting nate we've had two responses to last week uh our podcast with kk and they were the polar opposite of each other Mm -hmm. we had a reaction from a husband uh who felt like he was doing his work but because he was the perpetrator of hurt that his wife never had to do her work and he felt trapped in that Mm -hmm. would that be a fair Summary I would that? say, yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. And then we also got uh, a note from a woman who felt like, uh, no, a lot of women are being drug into this and trapped with the idea that they have to co-own this. Mm-hmm. So uh, I want to address this. Yeah. Why don't I read her letter? All right. Okay. She says, wow, I just really disagree with what KK says about One sick spouse in a marriage means there must be two. With a sex addiction, it can be so hidden. My addict husband says that the worse he acted out, the better he treated me. The more he helped at home, more smiles, more dates. Our sex life never changed. People at large don't want to believe that such a progressive, destructive addiction can be so well hidden, even from the addict. So many addicts are doing the Christian things, working hard, being good dads, not perfectly, but in many cases better than an average husband. My husband was addicted to porn as a single guy. He was sober for more than 12 years and then lied and hid and got back into the addiction for seven years. 
The entire time, he was a worship leader, taught at church. He seemed to be a workaholic. So that was sick, and I was confronting it in our marriage. But when this came out, I was utterly, utterly blindsided, as were our kids. He was teaching them God's ways carefully. Because this addiction has its operating system before he even meets his wife, he can carry it out with no visible signs. The wives are trying to connect. The guys give the illusion that they're participating and all is well. Check out uh, Doug Weiss, who wrote Prodependence. These betrayed wives appear crazy after finding out because it's a living nightmare. The more painful, the, the, the one thing more painful than sexual betrayal is losing a child. And in her pain, no one says to the grieving mother that she's sick. Also, these guys don't need to be a victim, especially in their marriage. So saying that their wife is sick too, well, he might exploit that or the enemy might. So many betrayed wives have gone to therapists who have blasted them for basically the emotional and psychological, psychological equivalent of laying in the emergency room shot up, bleeding out and crying in pain. From no fault of her own, her husband deceived her in the most intimate way possible and gutted her. All right. Uh, I'm going to kick this back over to you, Nate, because I think you've got some important stuff to say about this. I was glad to get this because it reminded me how with any topic that we're trying to expound on here, right. there are going to be so many different uh, stories, mm -hmm. so many different ears, and that sometimes, because uh, I had to go back and think, okay, were we not compassionate in some way, mm -hmm. you know, maybe I, I don't want to be yeah, yeah. Uh, lacking compassion. Um, so give us that much grace that we're going to keep trying to touch on all of these things from different points of view. But when she was writing, it made me think of a lot of how you tell your story and the ways that Allie felt crazy. Sure. Um, so I, I wanted to hear your response to this. Yeah. Because you didn't hear it until today. So this is the first Yeah, time. you know, th there is, and it, you know, it came out of the, uh, you know, the codependency movement, the co-addict movement, the idea if there's one sick person, there has to be two. I remember a sponsor saying, I've never met your wife, but I know she's crazy because she married you. <laughs> um, uh, mm -hmm. Now... Uh, I took that to – I think she's right. I, I took that to mean that Allie played some kind of a causal role or con contributory role to my addiction. Um, and I tried to push recovery on her and the 12 steps on her at the, early on. She felt blamed, rightly so, and resisted. Uh, I really – delayed her tasting the fruits of this life for a couple of years just because of my, you know, arrogant insistence that, you know, she had some, you know, she also had some work to do. 
Well, of course, we are both broken people and we are compatible in our brokenness, uh, our woundedness. I think it's our similar wounds that help to draw us together initially. Um, and I have come to see re recovery uh, f far more as healing than as uh, repentance and reformation. Right. Um, but um, the truth, but, but Allie certainly has, and now she will acknowledge that she, uh, she and I both have healing to do. Uh, she was traumatized when I met her, as was I, although uh, her, my, yeah, it, it, they were not equally visible to us. Uh, I piled on to her trauma and caused even more. Right. And um, if, even if the only work she has to do is the, is the work of healing from trauma. Right. And that's, that's huge here is when we're talking about two people needing work, yeah, it's not about sharing blame. No. It's not about blame. No. Uh, and so when, when this person wrote, um, so many betrayed wives have gone to therapists who have, been, who have blasted them and psychological equivalents of lying in the emergency room, that whole thing. Yeah, yeah. The, and that, that there, there is a, that's kind of old school therapy, and there right. are people who have done that. Yeah, and, and when I read those words, it yeah. just made me feel really angry. Yeah. And, and certainly in church, that yeah, yeah. comes up as well. Yeah. So to when, when listeners are hearing this, it's not talking about the blame piece. And even if... Even if there was some quantifiable way to say, okay, this is 98% this spouse's fault and only 2% that spouse's fault, even by virtue of that big of a betrayal, yeah. there is now a trauma that needs to be worked with. Yeah. You now have two people that have work they have to go through. And I think that first uh, letter from the husband mm -hmm. was about... I'm trying to do my work, but if my wife won't, I feel stuck. I feel yeah. like this whole thing is stuck. I don't think it was a, a blame mm -hmm. letter. It yeah. was a, can we both be working towards healing? Yeah. Even for the wounds that I caused. Yeah. And uh, I, I think that's hard for us to hear when we feel like we're victims, yeah. where, wherever we end up. And yeah. I love in Scotland, we got to write about those areas that we, we hold on to that victim story right. long after it's helpful and I need to be moving towards healing. Yeah. Um, so I, I think that's important, even as you were talking about it, even with Allie, yeah. that it's, it is the work of healing and not work because of co-blame. Right, Exactly. Exactly. And also, let's add to this that uh, these various stories, um, I know I tend to interpret other people's story through the filter of my own story. Yes. And that's, that's hard sometimes when somebody else has a different deal going on and entirely I feel like, different dynamics yeah and i feel like it's going to undermine the truth of my story if their story's still true <laughs> well put and yeah that's that's hard yeah I, I think that's hard for any of us yeah all right any other thoughts on uh 
on those two letters? No, I would just reemphasize the point that um, since no two people are alike, no two relationships are alike, uh, no two wounds and fractures are exactly alike, and no one-size-fits-all treatment is going to work. Except a Samson group, and you can get on virtually. <laughs> yeah, no, Samson is here to help, and, and you know, as we share our journeys— as we share what's helped and what's hurt, um, you know, we tell each other where the bread is today. Um, you know, we gain insight from one another. And, and hopefully we're being helped along the way by uh, men and women called into the work of assisting us uh, in the healing process. I'm talking about ther therapists and pastors. I really do see the primary role of Samson as uh, for those who are in therapy, support between sessions. Uh, for those who've gone to treatment, aftercare. Mm -hmm. uh, and, uh, you know, and for the rest of us, it's an ongoing place of strengthening and service. All right. Well, uh, I believe we have a mini-meeting queued up, and this week is special because yeah. the mini-meeting will begin with a song written and produced by a pirate monk of old that's being debuted today. Oh, wow. Yes, the mini-meeting song. Oh, yeah, all right. <laughs> all right, yeah. Uh, thanks thanks to uh, Scott Dente and the crew. Uh, we've got a new mini-meeting song followed by a mini-meeting. Well, let's rock this thing. We'll be right back. <laughs> Hi guys, welcome to this mini meeting of the Samson Society. We are a company of Christian men. We are also natural loners who recognize the dangers of isolation and are determined to escape them. Natural wanderers who are finding spiritual peace and prosperity at home. Natural liars who are now finding freedom in the truth. Natural judges who are learning to judge ourselves right. Last but not least, natural strongmen who are experiencing God's strength as we admit our weaknesses. Uh, as Christians, we meet at other times for worship, teaching, or corporate prayer. Today, however we meet to talk, our purpose is to assist one another in our common journey. We do so by sharing honestly, out of our own personal experience, the challenges and encouragements of daily Christian living in a fallen world. Our faith rests in love of God as it is revealed in his word and in the life of his son. This is the great fact of the gospel, which is the foundation of the Chata. Rules for sharing. Okay, guys, we've now reached the sharing portion of our meeting. That was quick. Uh, in sharing, we meet... Honestly, uh, we speak honestly out of our own experience. We tell the truth about ourselves, knowing that our brothers will listen to us in love and hold whatever we say in strictness confidence. confidence. Very nice. Try to keep our comments brief, taking care to leave plenty of time for others. We address our statements to the group as a whole rather than directing them toward any one person. As a rule, we refrain from giving advice to others or instructing them during the meeting, believing that such conversations are best reserved for private moments between friends. Topic of the mini meeting, Number one is desire. Desire. We are confined to that subject, uh, which is not typical. So let's stick to desire. All right. Floor is now open for sharing. Hi, guys. My name is Ben. Hey, Ben. Hey, Ben. Hello. I guess technically I picked this topic. Uh, so if I'm going to 
uphold whatever rules we have, I should share first. Um, you know, the first, my first reaction to desire is a part of me shows up to say, no, I can't have desires, right? Because it's like that initial, I think, piece to this recovery journey that says, well, I've got to just squash out, uh, you know, temptations. I've got to squash out parts of me that, um, you know, lust after pornography. And that's my way to, I guess, get some headway in the recovery. And I think that is a good thing. It's a, definitely an old part of me because now I think as I'm getting into this journey of recovery, there's um, a more of an integrative approach to desire where I'm desiring healthier things in my life where, you know, before it was, well, I just desired, I didn't want to get caught and I didn't want to, uh, I didn't want to have to disclose to my wife. I wanted to heal in a vacuum and I wanted to um, not have to tell the truth and just kind of walk away from pornography scot-free. Well, I was pretty mistaken about that. Um, and I had to walk through a lot of things, a lot of disclosure. And, um, you know, and now I really desire that truthfulness and that and that openness and that vulnerability. And I see how it's changed my life, you know, really slowly. Like, Nate, you were talking on one of your other, uh, I think it was Positive Sobriety Podcast, just how long this journey takes um, in terms of years for all this neuroplasticity and other things to to take shape. And it really does. Like, it just takes a real desire to be open and vulnerable to combat years and years of shameful neglect. And just, it's, it's a long process. Like it's really not instantaneous. Um, but now, you know, I, I was writing down things that I really desire. Now I really desire, um, to be seen and heard. I don't want to be alone. I really desire people's openness and vulnerability. It's kind of hard because I don't always get that outside of Samson now. And, and I have to kind of walk into life knowing that I don't get that from most people in my life, but um, that's why I really cherish this space and the time I have with you guys. So those are my thoughts on desire. Thanks. And Ben. Thanks, Thanks ben. ben. Hey guys, I'm Mike. Hey Mike. Hey Mike. Hey, so I think desire is really an interesting one for me because in my history, there was so much shame around sexual desires and around temptation and whatever. So it's always, it's hard to separate them as a healthy thing. And so it's all kind of like you were saying, Ben, you squash down the temptation to be very present with my wife, you know, and present with my family. Um, so I think there are a lot of very healthy things that I desire. I also really desire the true, the friendships and the, the space that I've discovered in Samson and just the opportunities to share openly that I never had before. And really the, the opportunity to, like you were talking about, have a safe space that I can come and I can be myself. I can be open and I can share honestly and not be judged and be encouraged. And um, like I said in the meeting the other day, know that no matter how bad it is, I know that when I pick up the phone to call him again the next day, that guy's going to answer the phone. He's not going to just avoid the phone call. And I think that's really... I, that desire, that that's something I'm truly appreciative for. So desire has really taken on a different perspective for me as I've gone through recovery. Anyway, thanks, guys. I'm Mike. Thanks, Mike. Thanks, Mike. I'm Lonnie. Hey, Lonnie. Hey, Lonnie. Um, yeah, it's interesting, the subject. I, I thought a few weeks ago about that word desire because you know we have the promise in the scripture that if 
we delight us you delight thyself in the lord he shall give you the desires of your heart and you know I've, I've actually been thinking about that for a couple of weeks and a few weeks but it's interesting as, as you guys are sharing uh there's been some things that's really kind of come to my mind uh with regards to uh this journey that i've been on for now about six months um i remember very clearly the morning uh uh six months ago that god intersected my life um uh, and it led me to samson um what i realize now is there was a desire in me to be right and i was i was desperately flailing away at life just trying to cope and all of a sudden um god brought um something into my life that um made me realize that i that i could be right in fact i i wasn't i wasn't as awful as i thought i was um and uh it was um it was life-changing so i think all the years you know i've struggled with off and on with um um unwanted behaviors for 36 years and i believe that now what i've learned through this process is that uh the desire uh my desire to be known and to know was what was driving all those behaviors and when i finally found a a place a company of christian men that i could be real with those desires were met and it became very liberating um and now what i desire uh, it's already been shared what i desire is i desire authenticity i desire to be the man that is present in my presence because I spent 32 years of marriage, my mind completely somewhere else, half most of the time. And I remember always thinking, I just wish somebody would ask me what's wrong, what's wrong with you, <laughs> you know? And, uh, you know, my, uh, and I never really got that, right? And so it just became this self-perpetuating cycle in my life that um, my desire to be known, being unmet, led to other behavior. It led me into more isolation. It just went on and on and on. But now I desire, you know, before this meeting tonight, I, you know, I sat down with uh, my wife and I said, you know, um, I, I want to share something with you. Uh, this is something that that's been going on in my mind for a couple of days and uh so just that desire to be known by people uh has 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 really been um uh, it was always there i just didn't know what that was i didn't know that that's what i needed uh, and now um uh, my desires have shifted um you know i spent so many years um desiring that medication that would kind of make me forget the way I was feeling and what I was thinking, um, what I thought about myself. Um, and now I've, I, I truly desire, um, to be, um, 
to be a guy that um, doesn't suck everything out of the room. Um, and um, and by God's grace, um, he's making those changes in, in my life. Uh, and, uh, and I'm grateful. So thanks, I'm Lonnie. Thanks, Lonnie. Thanks, Lonnie. Good to be with you guys. And uh, I'm John. Hey, John. And good to be with you, virtual meeting guys. Uh, desire is a great word for me. And um, it's one that I've spent a significant amount of time thinking and writing about, actually. And uh, it, it became very profound for me in the first year of my recovery, going back seven years ago now. And I, I think that the most profound thing for me is I spent nearly my entire adult life suppressing desire. And um, desire, I, I think if I had been asked then or if I thought about it, I would have thought desire was a bad thing. And uh, because desire manifests itself in my life, primarily in the terms of the, of the illicit things that we all seek help from. And um, through men and Samson meetings and through mentors, through the pages of great books that I read, um, I began to learn that the desires that I was seeking satisfaction, the ways that I was seek, seeking to satisfy my desires were just either the whispers of the enemy or the blaring sirens of the enemy that distracted me. And I didn't know what good, holy, or beautiful desire could be like. Um, I'm sure I saw it in glimpses. I experienced it at times in my marriage at the time and my children. But uh, I was I was uh, I was blind and misled and walked down a wrong path for many many years. And the most beautiful one of the most beautiful things that happened to me when I was uh, confronted with uh, uh, when I was confronted and and outed so to speak, if you will, I uh, I began to learn. It was about a year into my recovery that desire could be a good thing. And the first way that's so significant for me that I began to experience desire in a healthy, holy way was being outdoors and hiking. And I'd never done that in my entire life, but to experience nature and God, and that, that was probably the only desire that I had the capacity to appreciate at the time. I think any more than that, I, I, I don't think I could have survived it. And um, meaning the love of a woman, I don't think I, I was ready for that. Then. And, and uh, but to, experience God in nature and walk and listen and talk and pray and journal was some of the most beautiful experiences of desire satisfied that I've ever experienced in my life. And um, more recently, uh, through, again, a lot of men in meetings, a lot of books, a lot of prayer, uh, he, he slowly, he slowly, God meaning, began to allow me to again experience with, uh, because I was divorced uh, back in 2015, began to experience the the uh, the love of a woman again. And I, I don't think, I think he knew it was going to take me seven years to get to that point, but, uh, but he did. So I, I guess the thing for me is that desire felt like a bad thing. And it, it took six, six plus years of recovery for God to be able to show me and my friends to be able to show me what beautiful desire could look like. And that we were born for it. We are. Desire is there. We're going to desire. Uh, we can't stop it. Uh, and we shouldn't stop it. But I, when I began to experience it in, in good ways, it, it was, I, I can't hardly describe how profound it felt. And, and not that all my desires are perfectly pure all the time because um, um, I'm still fallen. 
uh, and I still need to go to Samson meetings, but um, to begin to experience in the way that God designed me has been the most beautiful thing that I've ever experienced. And um, I want everybody to experience that. <laughs> Thanks, I'm John. Thanks, John. Thanks, John. Thank you, John. All right, guys. Good shares. Thank you for your honesty and vulnerability. The formal part of our mini meeting is now coming to a close, and that's a wrap. back once again once more and for the last time today on the pirate monk podcast what do we got uh i'll tell you what we've got i'm starting to line up guests now that i am full-time 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 working for samson house and um oh man i feel like i've been let out of prison i'm having <laughs> i'm having so many great conversations I'm, with interesting people who i am going to want to uh, introduce to our listeners we're going to this next year is going to be full it's going to be fun man i'm excited i can't help thinking you've been let out of prison which was your job <laughs> that you handed to your son which means you just put him in prison i can't help <laughs> creating that equation in my head <laughs> Uh, he, vol he volunteered for it. He's a young guy. <laughs> He's a young guy, and he volunteered for the cage. All right. So how's it been? It's been it's, a couple I, weeks I'll now. tell you what. It's been so wonderful. I am so energized. Uh, my, it, my, it seems like my creativity has taken a big jump, and uh, God seems to be opening up all kinds of doors of opportunity for connection with with interesting people you're so, not going to be able to go back are you no i don't think so <laughs> I, I mean, theoretically this is only three months but we'll see I, I... <laughs> school's out for summer oh man <laughs> all right we've got a few uh spots left talk to tom mm -hmm. uh at the opryland hotel yeah Seems like there were 25-ish spots. No, 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 no. We're oh, down, that's wrong. No, we're down to 15, 15 available spots okay. in the uh, at the Big Fall Retreat, November 1 through 3. So, uh, and, you know, the plan is coming together. We got cool stuff. We got T-shirts being made and mugs being printed and all kinds of and that's, cool stuff. That's three weeks from Friday, right? Or is it two weeks from Friday? Yeah, three. All right. Yeah. It's coming up. I, I can hardly wait, man. It's going to be awesome. Me too. So if you haven't signed up yet, this is your time to sign up. If you're procrastinating, there's no second chances. You'll miss you. <laughs> You'll, there was a song that came to mind. But anyways, uh, sign up now. Don't wait. Uh, if you need to, uh, call a buddy or tell your wife to harass you until you get it done and then let them follow through. All right. Well, I guess that wraps it for this episode of the Pirate Monk Podcast. Uh, thanks for tuning in, dialing us up or downloading us or whatever you've done to get us on your audio device. Uh, it's a privilege to be with you today. We'll be back next week with another episode of the Pirate Monk Podcast. Until then, I'm Nate. I'm Aaron. We are your pals on the Pirate Monk Podcast. Arr. Bye. Bye.